0: Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Faith this, this Lord's Day. We're starting a, a series this month called um, Disciple-Making Movements. Disciple-Making Movements. We hear a lot about Disciple-Making. Uh, the Great Commission, making disciples. Disciple-Making Movements. Well, we're going to look at the book of Acts today. The book of Acts uh, in the next few messages. Disciple-Making Movements. One, one of the missionaries that we support in our church is my microphone was very loud. I'm, I'm gonna be loud today, so you need to turn that thing down. You have a lot of echo, a lot of reverb today. Turn me, turn me down. Uh, we support Charles and Liz Chapman. Their their um, logo from their website right there. Um, Living Ministry, Love Initiated Ventures, invested in neglected groups. Living, the uh, the letters there. And um, Charles was one of the young uh, men at Faith whose passion for people, especially the poor. It began as a seventh grader on a mission trip to D.C. Um, his burden grew here at Faith during his high school years when his family moved here, it was, it began to worship here. And he served at the, at the Planned Learning Center as a tutor. Uh, he's now married to Liz, and they just celebrated 15 years of ministry, 15 years of serving the, the poor in Pittsburgh. Uh, Char- Charles' life is an example of what God can do in the lives of people who are committed to being used by God. And many of you don't, don't know that his parents and I have a long history. Charles and Joyce Chapman, they're here at the first service. Some of you don't know them because you don't come to the first service at all. They're here, right there in, in one of the first few first pews and with their, their special daughter, Grace. Um, many of you don't know that, that uh, we have a long history. You might not know that uh, um, he was at Forest Park when I was there, in fact. John grew up in West Baltimore, and he attended Forest Park Church. And he was there when I when I joined that church years ago, when I moved to this city to work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And um, eventually, that's the church that I became I I pastored for a while. John and I shared a a quick connection through sports. Both both of us love sports. In fact, uh, that's how I really got to know John. Um, He worked for the Baltimore Sun papers. Now, some of you don't even know what that is. It's a newspaper. You've you've heard of these old things called newspapers that in the morning you'd come and there'd be a newspaper on your, on your yard. And, uh, he, he was one of those who worked at the office and, and they, they would deliver papers. Um, I guess it, mostly, they still have them, I think, hard copies, but most people access it online. But he, this meant he worked on a graveyard shift. He worked overnight, middle of the night. And, uh, and I was working with InterVarsity on campus, and so I could manage my time any way I wanted to. So um, Thursday mornings, Thursday mornings, when he and his buddies from the Sun Papers finished work, they would have basketball game, and I became part of that routine, playing basketball with John and his Sun Papers buddies on Thursday mornings. We did this was for several years. It was a great time, very lively games. I got to know John very well. John's an extremely loyal person. He's an extremely faithful person. He's also an extremely opinionated person. I don't know if you know John. Maybe you don't know John. Um, y- y- you could say that he's just very opinionated. <laughs> and um, a woman named Joyce Willis, his wife Joyce Chapman, came into his life, and we who knew John said that uh, either she's crazy or she's a saint. She told me she's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> but uh, John, we knew, and, and, and she knows that, that John was not the easiest person to live because of his extreme opinionated person, the, the opinionated person that he was. And yet, years later, they're still together, serving God, and they and they created an environment. is an important point. They created an environment of discipleship, where now one of the missionaries Archer supports um, was birthed and, and equipped and, and raised and then launched from us. Many of you know Joyce is a, is a strong woman of God who has been through many health challenges through, her, through the years and you've seen her you've, you've probably seen her and how she they've raised their special needs child uh, just a, a wonderful couple uh, but a simple a couple like many in this congregation who've been faithful over the years to, to 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 serve jesus christ in this generation they're just one example many others in the church reflect that heart of faithful disciple making which is what we're going to talk about disciple making creating an environment. Being in an environment where, 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 the, where, where folks can become disciples and flourish as disciples. We need to understand that, that most of what God accomplishes in the world is done through kingdom oriented people. Disciples who are making disciples. The, the, the passage today is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Let me pause and just read this together. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, and John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. God's word. My title is from this verse, one verse, You Will Be My Witnesses. That's my title. You will be my witnesses. Witnesses, You know, redeemed people, redeemed sinners. We don't have either the will or the natural ability to impact others with the message of Christ. And yet, we are charged by God to do that because God empowers us to do that. You know, the gospel, this gospel advances as Jesus Christ energizes his disciples to proclaim the good news. That's my point today. The gospel, it advances, it moves on in the world because Jesus is energizing and empowering a people to make it effective, to do the effective work of making disciples. This first chapter, these first 14 verses, there's a movement here. The first five verses, uh, Luke gives us the setting, the context. Now again, the book of Acts is the second half of Luke-Acts. Luke was, his, was by Luke, and Acts was written by Luke. And he, the same uh, recipient, uh, Theophilus, in, in, Act, in Luke chapter 1, he talks to him again in the first verse about how he t- the first book was about what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts is what Jesus will continue to do through the disciples, what he will do. So he, so there's the, the setting there. Jesus was there for 40 days teaching and speaking on the kingdom of God. And um, then the next, uh, verses 6 to 11, there's this question we'll look at about the kingdom. There's this commission. There's this... Um, this, the, uh, the ascension is he just takes off. He just takes off. And the angels, the two angels are there and they, and they, and they have some words there. And then verses 12 to 14 afterwards, they return and um, they're gathered, they're waiting, they're praying. And we have the list of the disciples there. And again, we'll look at that uh, briefly. But what I want to talk about is three things. I want to talk about this, this, this mission, this commission that we have. Uh, the, the first, the, the people, the people of the mission. Second, the, pow- the, 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 the purpose of this mission. And third, the power. Okay, The people, the purpose, and thirdly, the power. Versus the people. We're going to look at these in reverse order. Verses 13 and 14 is the people. Look at those verses. They're listed there. They're in an upper room. Peter and John. James, you see them listed there. There's 11 names listed because Judas Iscariot is not there. The, rest of this, the end of that chapter talks about replacement for him. But they're together, that Judas, it says Judas son of James, not Judas Iscariot, that's the other Judas. All these, verse 14, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Let's talk about these disciples, these disciples of Christ. The disciples of Christ are people who have encountered the Jesus of history. These people that sit there have encountered Jesus Christ. They're disciples, of the followers of Christ. Luke wants us to understand the radical truth for that day that that the followers of Christ are both men and women. Don't miss that. We we meet most of these folks in the Gospels, and we meet the women in the Gospels, too. This is the fourth time in the New Testament that the apostles are listed. In Luke chapter 8, there are women listed in a group of women who followed Jesus and served him. Some of them, I'm sure, are in the room that day it's people who have encountered jesus that's what it is have you encountered jesus are you a disciple of jesus have you had that encounter disciples are people who are needy and therefore they're gathered together in prayer are, are you needy we're, we're needy people that's what we have this yearly prayer advance every year because we, we, we want to recognize that we're needy people they're gathered they're apprehensive about the jewish authorities that they the, the authorities may have something in mind that they don't like They also are are, are wondering if God might have something in mind that they would like. God told them to wait. They're waiting. Waiting is not easy all the time, is it? God just give you the assignment, just wait. We don't like to wait, do we? We are Americans, we want it now. They wait and they pray. This always reminds me of, of, what, of, of Acts chapter 4, a couple of chapters later. <coughs> there, there Luke, Luke shows us that the Jerusalem disciples had prayed for the release from prison for Peter and John. They were in prison for preaching the gospel. And, and when they prayed, the building shook, it says, and they were filled with the Spirit. And thus they proclaimed the good news about Jesus boldly, and people got saved. Uh, uh, I believe Luke is repeating for us a, a kind of a formula in Acts. Of what's already shown, he's already shown us in Acts one and two. Now, many people they go to the Book of Acts for formulas, and that's the, most of the formulas that they think they find there. They aren't really there. Now, what am I talking about? People say, "Okay, to be saved, you believe and you're baptized, and then you are filled with the Holy Spirit." Or some say, "No, you believe, you with the Holy Spirit." You're baptized, you're speaking in tongues. There's all these formulas that people look for in the book of Acts. Don't do that. Don't do that. But here's a formula that I do want you to see because I think it's there. I think Luke has a formula for us in this passage that he wants us to, 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 to look at later. And here it is, and there's a chart for it humble, united prayer. And then in chapter two comes the filling of the Spirit. Then in chapter two, bold gospel proclamation. That's a pattern that you can find in Acts. That's a pattern that I think God wants us to imitate. A true formula. Humble people, needy people saying, Lord, fill me. I'm dependent on you. And God does that. And through that people, God does ministry. God, the gospel is proclaimed disciples of christ are needy people disciples of christ are people who are at least in the beginning were united this is interesting it says in verse 14 they were with one accord someone has said that the only time in the history of the church that where you can say that everyone who believed in jesus was united was right here in this passage from here on it's all downhill disunity and schism and all that and guess what the day is going to come when jesus returns and we'll be united again amen united in one accord. <coughs> Disciples of Christ are people who are in process. This is important for us. Look at their questions, the questions they ask. It shows that they don't understand. There's some things they don't fully understand. They haven't grasped about what he'd been teaching about the kingdom of God. And, that's, and so they ask them a question. And it's okay, we're all in process. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're all trying to figure things out. None of us is perfect. In fact, there's a simple gospel song. I heard it just this week. I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. It's a gospel song. It's a great song. It's a little simple song. I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. That's who we are. Simple people trying to proclaim this great message about a great God. Can God use you? What about you? Can God use you? Absolutely, he can. And he is using many of you. Continue to humbly serve him and look for ways to be even more useful to God, an instrument in God's hand in this year, 2018. I was thinking the other day about the many New Year's resolutions that, that, that we make, and, and that's, that's good, but we need to make our resolutions more, less me-oriented things of self-improvement and more kingdom-oriented. How can I serve and be, serve, be useful in God's service more and more? That, that's what really will bring ultimate joy. So to, to know Christ... And to make him known is the highest priority of our lives. Luke gives several church models in the book of Acts and to think about. There's the Jerusalem church and there's the Antioch church. We'll look at Antioch in a few weeks. Jerusalem was a, was, was a, is a solid church, growing church, but they were weak in vision to move on beyond. You might remember after chapter 7, they had no vision to move beyond, and what got them beyond their own walls was persecution, the pressure to leave. They didn't have a vision to go beyond their own, their own walls as a city church. Um, but the, 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 the other model is Antioch. Uh, intentional, diverse, strong on vision. What's the kind of church you want to be? They, they're the dreamers. They're dreaming that God can use them. God used them to take the gospel to the world, Acts 13 and following. Now, you know, for Craig and I, we've been for years. We've dreamed ab- about faith being a church that could multiply into other congregations of similar uh, uh, um, DNA. Why? Because the multiplication of congregations is clearly the biblical pattern of church growth. That's the pattern, and we see that in the Book of Acts. Uh, I- I've been in this city of Baltimore since the late '70s, and you need to know something that I've known for years. And many of you have not known. Though our church is certainly not a perfect church, we're a very unique church, (laughs) and God is using us. There's no church like this church in Baltimore. We understand that and appreciate that. God is using and has used this unique congregation. He's used you to bring people to himself, to help people grow, and that is still happening. And by his grace, it will continue to happen in the years and decades ahead. The question is, with the changing nature of our world, in the changing landscape of religious commitment in our nation and in our world, could God possibly still use people a faith Christian fellowship in the years to come to bring people to himself and nurture people to himself? Our prayer is that instead of settling down, we at faith will boldly and humbly trust the Lord to push us into the next frontiers of ministry that goes beyond us, beyond some of our lives. if The Lord tarries. Acts 18, verses 9 to 10. The apostle Paul burdened in Corinth what he saw. The Lord said to him one night in a vision, Acts 18, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I think of that verse often when we sing that song by Chris Tomlin. There's no one like our God, so greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. That's kind of what Paul heard that night at Corinth as he was wrestling with his calling there. The gospel is going to advance. The gospel advances to people energized by Jesus Christ. An old song by Danny Bell Hall. The Andre Christ and the disciples, Andre Crouch and the disciples uh, years ago. She said, just like that little lad who gave Jesus all he had, how the multitude was fed with fish and loaves of bread, what you have may not be much, but when you yielded to the touch of the Master's hand, then you'll understand how your life could never be the same. Ordinary people, just ordinary people, He chooses people just like me and you who are willing to do what he commands god uses people that will give him all no matter how small your all may seem to you because little becomes much as you place it in the master's hand the 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 the, the kingdom moves through people the people of the mission people like you and me ordinary people needy people broken people people energized by him. The second thing I see in the text is, is the purpose of this mission. And it's advancing this kingdom, advancing the kingdom of God. You see the important connection between verses 6 and 8? They ask the question, when do you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, no, no, you'll receive power. The Spirit's going to come and you'll be my witnesses in the world. Jesus kind of says that we can have too much emphasis on the times and seasons that the Father is fixed. He's not, he's not saying ignore those things. But then we shouldn't get so interested in them that they are distraction from the more important things, the more important tasks that we have as believers. And this is still very relevant, isn't it? Some people are, are too invested in knowing the prophetic future and, and the, the timetable and the sequence of the Lord's coming. They're whatever I would call the, the lookers or the gazers, those who the angel says, Why are you gazing into the heavens? Get to work, build the kingdom, expand the gospel. What is the kingdom? Uh, George Ladd, author of The Theologians in the presence, of the, Lord, of the presence of the Future, he says this, the kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God dynamically active to, re- to establish his rule among men. And that kingdom, which will appear as an apocalyptic act at the end of the age, has already come into human history in the person and mission of Jesus to overcome evil, to deliver men from its power and to bring them into the blessings of God's reign. There, there's, an el- there's a couple elements there. And there's a, there's his, The Presence of the Future is a book about what is this kingdom, how do you def- describe and define this kingdom? It's a great book. I was looking at, at, at a passage in, the, in, in uh, Luke chapter 17 where, where even in Luke's gospel um, you can begin to see this element that there's a, that there's a future consummation, there's an ap- 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 apocalyptic aspect of, of, of the kingdom of God which is future, and yet there's a really a, a, a present aspect. In Luke chapter 17 verses 20 to 21 Uh, being asked by the pharisees when the kingdom of god would come he answered them this is jesus the kingdom of god is not coming in ways that you can that can be observed nor will they say look here it is or there for behold the kingdom of god is in the midst of you now jesus is pointing to an, an element of the kingdom that the kingdom of god is here it's present. It's in your midst. It's right before your face because Jesus is there. And where Jesus, where the king is, the kingdom is is there. So there's an element right there. He says, don't be thinking of the kingdom as something future. It's now. And in the next verse, he starts talking about the days when the Son of Man will come. He starts talking about the future aspect of the kingdom. From from really, from 22 to, to 37, he talks about being the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and on and on. He's talking about the future coming of the, again, the this, this second coming. So again, the, the kingdom is here already and yet it is not yet here in its fullness. So there's this complicated aspect of the kingdom that we need to understand and that the disciples certainly at that point did not understand. Now last week in, in, in Brother Bo's uh, sermon, Luke 19, a couple chapters from here, um, had this parable of the king who 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 departed after giving uh the workers responsibility and instructions and 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 promise that when he eventually returned they would need to give an account it it may have been natural for the apostles to think of jesus burial and resurrection as the fulfillment of this temporary departure it would have been natural for them to think that so in one sense their question is not at all crazy they don't know it'll be centuries between the departure and the return they don't know that maybe we need to give them the benefit of the doubt however in another sense they show, their question showed their inattention to detail because they, they, they said look will you verse seven will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel they are still thinking of the kingdom being israel an israeli kingdom kind of thing and they aren't thinking about the world the bigger picture Their their focus is too narrow. Question, how's your focus? Is your focus God-sized? Is your focus narrow? Are you only concerned about yourself, your family, your community, your culture, your nation? We need to spend more time thinking about how Jesus shows us we can focus upon those things but not just on those things Kind have a vision for the needs outside of ourselves it's an undeniable fact that never before in the history of the church has there been the potential to reach people with the message of Christ, think of the early church they had had horses and they had ships to travel in what do we have today? planes (laughs) cars trains What do they write with? They had pens and scrolls. We've got computers and smartphones. Think of the potential, the the greater potential that we have to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, why were they so effective and we don't seem to be as effective? Maybe they had what, what Charles Stanley calls a passion for God and a compassion for lost people. That we need a passion for God and a compassion for lost people. That's more important than all the technology in the world, folks. How will this kingdom advance? Jesus gave kingdom parables. We looked at, at the reading of Scripture. We had uh, uh, Luke chapter eight, the parable of the sower, which is talking in one sense about how this thing grows, how this kingdom will grow, and uh, it'll be re- the word of God will be received to the hearts of people and and. and the kingdom will, will be expanded and advanced in that way. And then there are other parables that Jesus gave. Um, he said that the growth will be gradual, would not be instantaneous. So th- this text in verse 8 gives us a few insights into that also. The, the witness of the truth about Jesus will progress from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a progression there, and there's a time progression there. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's movement there. It's a movement in the world. It's a gradual progressive growth. And here's what, something very important that, that was pointed out to me years ago, that that verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in, in Judea, Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It is not a wish. It's a prediction. Think about it. Jesus isn't hoping that that happens. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. Big difference, isn't it? And, and in, in the book of Acts, we see that progression. The, the book of Acts ends in chapter 28, 31. Uh, proclaiming Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God he's in Rome and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance it was accomplished the kingdom of God expanding Jerusalem the city Judea the city where they lived and Samaria the next city where there were cultural differences and to the ends of the earth expansion of the gospels gradual pro- progression are you one who's committed to that are you in his word are you is the word in you are you growing in the word is the word growing in you are you sowing his word in your life and in the life more importantly of other people that they may know christ the purpose this expansion of god's kingdom finally the, the power where's the power for this comes from well it's again verse 8 in verse 2 and 5 we see this the holy spirit mentioned but verse 8 you'll receive the power when the holy spirit comes upon you it's mentioned in verse 4 and 5 the um, the baptism of John, but there's a greater baptism, a greater baptism. The Holy Spirit's ministry in the church in the New Testament is, is, is very simple. He regenerates and he changes our hearts, changes our lives. He seals us that we can know and have the assurance. He anoints us to serve. He fills us, empowers us. He illuminates us with understanding. He enlightens our eyes. The eyes of our, li- our hearts enlightened, enlightened. Ephesians chapter one. Holy Spirit, his ministry in our lives. John chapter 3, Jesus talked about the Spirit. He was having that conversation with Nicodemus at night. Remember that? He said the Spirit is like the wind. We've had a lot of wind this week, haven't we? We've had too much wind this week in many ways. As it blows and the wind chill factor goes down and down and down. But you can feel the wind, can't you? And you can see the impact of the wind, but you can't really see the wind itself, can you? The disciple-making church is like the wind. It's energized by a force that's unseen by the world. But it's as real as the things they can see. The impact changed lives, changed hearts, changed communities, changed people. The spirit, like the wind. Now, this verse 8 is an outline for the whole book of Acts. Just very briefly, you know, the first eight chapters or seven chapters are about the church in Jerusalem. And chapters 8 to 12, Judea and Samaria, there's ministry going on there. There's great things going on there. So there's revival. And then from 13 on is the ends of the world, of, ends of the, the earth. It's an outline for the whole book. And in terms of the Holy Spirit, one of the interesting clues about how Luke understands the Holy Spirit is that there's a unique manifestation of the Spirit. There, there are four of them in the book of Acts. One is in Jerusalem, one is in Judea, one is in Samaria, and one is out there in the ends of the world. Therefore, therefore there's something... If you look at the book of Acts and try to understand what is... The, what is the Spirit saying about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts? Remember that outline, and it'll keep you from going astray. But, you know, the the New Testament is not suggesting, very simply, that we have a a local God, a regional God, a a regional message regarding a regional God. No, the, the gospel movement involves the world. It's crossing barriers of language and geography and culture and even religion. That's the radical nature of the message of Christ. One thing I love about, you know, when I was in college, we had lots of debates and conversations with people of the quote charismatic persuasion who, who we, we, we thought their view of the Holy Spirit was a little bit off in some ways. However, one of the things I learned back then, and I still know, is that those people who, who, have, who seem to be in love with the gifts of the Spirit and the idea that the Holy Spirit is personal in our lives, many of them will outdo us in witness. They're not afraid to say the name of Jesus. And so maybe some of us who have all of our theological, doctrinal things wrapped up in, in tight need to remember that the Spirit will come and among many things, you will be my witnesses. And that's, the, that's the evidence of one's um, um, faith, the ability to, to speak the name of Jesus boldly and humbly. The primary task of the Holy Spirit, you see, is, is to re- reproduce the life and ministry of Jesus in us that we might proclaim it to others. See, it, 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 it's, not about, it's, it's not about our being perfect, it's about being available to Him. Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek the kingdom. Seek the things that are on God's heart. And what's on God's heart? The expansion of the gospel to those who don't know it, to those who need to hear it, to those who need to understand it more accurately, to yourself, that you might not just know it, but to do it. That if Jesus is Lord, how can he be more my Lord? This gospel advances not because of perfect people, because we have a perfect God who energizes imperfect people to proclaim that message. Close with a story you probably have heard before because it's been used several times. It's a a fictitious story. It's about the the conversation that Jesus had when he returned to glory after coming on earth for 33 years. He talked to the angels. He said, you're done. Yes, we're done. I was done down here. It was 33 years. Well, what did you accomplish? Did you accomplish the Father's will? Jesus says, yes, 33 years I accomplished the Father's will. The angel said, then what did you do? What, what, what do you have to leave? He said, what, did, did you leave a great building? Did you leave a great ministry? Did you leave uh, 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 pockets of, of, of truth throughout the globe, throughout all the, the, the cities and, and countries of the world? Did you do that? Jesus said, no. Jesus said, I, I, I discipled 12 men. One of them fell. That's what I did. That's all you did? The angel says, "Uh, is that that your plan? To change the world through just 12 men? And I've seen those men, Lord. Jesus said, that's the plan. And they said, well, Jesus, what's your backup plan? You got to have a backup plan. I've seen those 12 guys. Jesus says, there's no backup plan. That's the plan. The angels just went away confused and frustrated. But here's what the angels didn't understand, that we can understand that the, the fulfillment of the commissions is not because of the great skill of those 12. It's because of the one who energizes those 12. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's not about you. It's about the one doing ener- the energy. Isn't there hope for us, folks? <laughs> There's great hope for us that it's not about us, that the success of our church, the future of our church is not about us. It's about the will of God energizing the people of God to be the people of God, to be what this city needs. And we remind ourselves of that each month through the, the table. What does it the table tell us? It's not our works. It's His work, and that because of His work, we can be blessed and we can be effective in serving a lost and needy world. Well the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, "This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me." and he took the cup and said this cup is the new covenant shed for the remission of our sins drink it in remembrance of me every time you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim my death until I come again uh, officers could you come forward as we continue this, this table is the Lord's table it's not the, the church's table Christians through the centuries have celebrated the gospel and the simplicity of this message through the table of the Lord as we do here each month at the beginning of our month we do that at the beginning of this year this January, this table is for, for those who trust, have trusted in Christ and understand the gospel and are walking in, in fellowship with him and his church. Uh, not, not necessarily this church, but if you're a visitor and you, and you love the Lord, you're part of a, a church that proclaims the word of God and knows uh, the, the simplicity of the gospel, you're invited also to partake of the elements with us. If you're, if you're a child, through your parents, you can be a, a process to, to be partake of these elements. It's not just for older people, adults. But, it's for, but there's a caution that the scriptures give us as well that if you are not able to discern the Lord's body, you're not able to, 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 to examine yourself and say, I, I understand that message, uh, you're, you're, we ask you to, to let the elements pass by you and pray that, that, that God would give you grace that as you understand more and more hearing God's word, the clarity and simplicity of Jesus would become real to you. You'd know that you're a child of God and, and you had that assurance of that joy that Jesus Christ can give through his spirit. Let me, let's pray for a second as we prepare our hearts. But God prepare us to receive these elements. Thank you that it's, it's not for people who, who have it all together or none of us would be able to partake, but it's for people who know that, that you have it all together and that you have done the work for us and that as we turn to you, as we repent, as we trust you, as we believe in your promises, you will bless us and you will give us the life eternal which you give to those who would believe. Well, we call on the name of the Lord and we are saved. We thank you for that promise. It's by your grace and not by what we do. I pray you would work in hearts, Lord, as we we receive these elements. Work your uh, comfort and, and your assurance to those who need it. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Body of Christ.